Hello, my name is Bobby Butcher and I'm a Managing Associate in the Banking Department here in London. The resolution of Silicon Valley Bank UK Limited, or SVB UK, on the 13th of March was the first time since 2009 that the Bank of England has put a bank into resolution. In fact, it was only the third resolution uh, under the Banking Act in history. We all now know how the story ended. SVB UK's capital instruments were written down and its shares were sold to HSBC for a pound. But now the dust has settled, we wanted to spend some time digging a little deeper into what happened and what this might mean for prudential regulation and the resolution regime in the future. To discuss these questions, I'm delighted to be joined by Edward Chan, a partner in the banking department here in London, and Ellie Carindrew, an associate in the banking department. Both, of course, specialists in bank uh, regulation and resolution. So as a first question, Ed, uh, it might be helpful to recap just on the history of SVB UK uh, and how it was regulated. Is that something you can talk to? Yeah, sure, Bobby. So SVB UK was the UK arm of Silicon Valley Bank, which itself was founded in California about 40 years ago, and which over that time had grown to becoming a group with uh, around 200 billion in deposits. Um, and um, with a particular focus on banking, the tech and fintech sectors. The UK arm of SVB started out in 2012 as a branch of the Californian bank. Um, and it was only uh, in July 2022, so um, less than a year ago, that the UK business uh, was transferred into a new subsidiary, Silicon Valley Bank UK Limited. So since last summer, SVB UK uh, was operating in the UK as a subsidiary, jointly regulated by the Prudential Regulation Authority and the Financial Conduct Authority here in the UK. And this has come about at the request of the PRA as the UK business of SVB was bumping up against the thresholds that the PRA would consider acceptable um, in terms of sizes of branches of foreign banks. Um, now, this move to becoming a subsidiary has some pretty significant ramifications when it came to the resolution we can. First of all, it meant that the UK uh, business had standalone capital requirements, so it had its own additional tier one and tier two instruments issued to its US parent, uh, which was subsequently written off um, in the course of the resolution. Um, secondly, it meant the Bank of England had a much broader set of resolution tools available to it when SVB UK got into difficulty. Now, because the Bank of England um, does have the power to independently resolve a branch of a foreign bank uh, if there is no cooperation with a home uh, regulator, it is generally unwilling uh, to do so. The last thing of all to say would be that uh, as a subsidiary, uh, the Bank of England would have established a resolution strategy for SVB UK. Um, so just as a brief reminder, firms typically have three possible strategies, bail-in, transfer or insolvency. Um, and in light of uh, SVB's uh, UK's scale and operations, the Bank of England had established that uh, insolvency under the bank insolvency procedure um, was its preferred resolution strategy. Great. Thanks very much, Ed. So that sets the scene nicely for the resolution weekend uh, and what 
What was it that happened in the run-up to that weekend, and how did we get to a position where the Bank of England was considering using its resolution powers? So what we've now learned um, about SVB UK is that during 2022, um, its deposit book had grown to something like 12 billion, which would make it the 16th largest bank in the UK. In the week leading up to the weekend of the 11th and 12th of March, there was a huge um, deposit outflow in the US parent, which subsequently led to a spike in the deposit outflow out of the UK. For example, on Friday the 10th of March, um, there was effectively a run on SVB UK with depositors withdrawing 2.9 billion. So roughly 30% of the total deposit base had come out on that single day. So during that Friday, the US authorities had already decided to put the US bank into receivership. And from a UK perspective, um, there was a combination of, first of all, uncertainty as to whether uh, SVB UK can continue to meet the uh, outflow in deposits. And secondly, um, concern that SVB UK was deeply reliant on its US parent for ongoing servicing. So those two factors ultimately led the Bank of England to decide to put the UK entity into resolution. Great, thanks Ed. Now, one of the interesting things maybe for the resolution buffs among us is that at the start of the weekend, we had a statement from the Bank of England on the Friday um, saying that absent any sort of meaningful intervention, it intended to put SVB UK into a bank insolvency procedure on the Sunday night or before markets opened on the Monday. Uh, and of course, we obviously know now that that's not what happened. But Ellie, do you want to talk a little bit about you know, what that means and why that's so something that's reasonably interesting? Uh, yes, of course. Um, thank you, Bobby. Um, as I said, uh, the Bank of England as Resolution Authority has a wide range of stabilization powers, resolution powers, um, ancillary tools to use. Um, however, there are specific statutory tests that must be used for the Bank of England to be able to make use of its powers. Um, and that is because it, it's not sufficient for a bank to be failing or likely to fail. Resolution has always need to be um, a last resort solution. And that is because resolution tools have a profound impact on private property rights. Imagine being a creditor whose claim has been bailed in or for, exa uh, for example, a shareholder who loses their shares without being able to object to it. It's quite significant. Um, and essentially some of the statutory tests, in short, I refer to as uh, the public interest test because ultimately what the Bank of England wants to achieve through resolving an entity is to protect market confidence and UK financial stability, continuity of banking services, continuity of critical functions and obviously taxpayers' money on the one hand and uh, protection of deposits on the other hand. And basically, how that played out here was that on the Friday, the Bank of England basically made an announcement that in their view, the public interest test was not met for a stabilization power to be used. And in fact, placing SVB UK into insolvency uh, wouldn't have a, a important ramifications in, ter in, ter in terms of market confidence and financial stability. And let's say that that was the strategy that they went through with. That would mean that a liquidator would come in and they would work closely with the deposit guarantee scheme in the UK, also known as FSES. 
Um, and basically, first, there would be payment of insured deposits um, up to um, a specific threshold. And normally, the FSCS targets for seven days payout time frame. And then the liquidator would have to continue working to realize assets, pay out creditors, and whatever was left would be paid out to um, unsecured creditors in the end and shareholders, etc. Uh, what was very interesting here, though, was that only 4.6% of the deposits in SVB UK were insured by the, the FSCS. So um, only a very, very small sort of sleeve of um, um, the, the depositors would be actually protected. The rest of them would have to wait for God knows how many months to get back um, anything from their deposits. Um, and that is sort of interesting if you think about it, because the, the Bank of England, knowing that, thought at the time that the public interest test was not met. And that is to be sort of contrasted to um, the approach that the US uh, deposit guarantee scheme took, um, the FDIC, uh, where effectively they, they took an approach whereby they would guarantee absolutely all deposits, even those exceeding the statutory threshold of 250k dollars. Mm. Um, so that was quite interesting. Right, so that was the plan heading into the weekend. And so what changed? So, so there was a change of heart, yep. wasn't it? And obviously the Bank of England had to address it. They had to go to the market and say why they changed their mind. And they did so in a public announcement. Essentially, during this weekend, which the public might know now as the resolution weekend, um, a number of bidders uh, emerged, with the favorite one being HSBC. Um, and essentially, uh, what happened was that the Bank of England realized that there is now an optimal scenario of finding a private sector purchaser before opening of markets um, on Monday. And that would cause like the minimal disruption to the UK financial uh, system. Uh, and basically, um, that is now important in the context of what we just discussed, because now they reassessed with the help of the other relevant authorities whether the public interest test was met. And they um, took the view that, yes, it was met. And instead of liquidation, they would go ahead with um, using one of their stabilization powers. This is now important for, in, in terms of experience with how the Banking Act actually works because it shows that the assessment of the preferred resolution strategy isn't a one-off thing. They reassess and reassess it in, in the context in light of various alternatives. Um, and essentially the reason we think why they had to use a stabilization option also was the fact that um, the uh, transfer to the, a private sector purchaser, which is one of the um, resolution tools or stabilization options, has a number of perks. Mm. So it basically overrides corporate authorization, change in control approvals, all the admin that takes time when you want to transfer or sell a bank. And this is how they managed to do it so quickly with HSBC. So effectively, what happened on Monday was that we also an announcement that the CT1 shares um, in SVB UK were all transferred to HSBC. And at the same time, we had the write down of the 81 and tier two instruments, which as Ed noted, were issued to the US parent. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. And of course, you know, one of the fascinating things about that is that you get a sort of three, four page transfer instrument governing the terms of the sale. You know, which is about the most simple sort of SPA you could, you know, potentially come across. 
So that was great. So we covered the background to SVB UK, how it sort of got itself into trouble, what happened over the resolution weekend. We're now sort of two or three weeks down the line and the dust has started to settle. Ed, what do you think the sort of key takeaways are from so, so a few things to point out. So first of all, the UK uh, resolution regime seemed to have worked quite well in this particular situation. You know, no public money was put at risk um, and there was no need to increase the deposit um, uh, guarantee threshold as we've seen in the US. Um, the fact that um, UK regulators uh, you know, required SVB UK to subsidize also made the resolution process much more uh, run much more smoothly um, and this suggests that the PRA's overall approach to subsidizing uh, foreign branches bank, uh, branches of foreign banks um, has turned out to be the correct strategy. Secondly, in terms of the provisions of the Banking Act um, that are there to stop a business uh, from falling apart um, in the course of a resolution that seems to have worked well. So if you take section 48Z of the Banking Act which acts to override termination rights um, in the process of a st stabilization sort of process that seems to have done the job. Third of all, in terms of the flexibility of the regulators, as Ellie was saying, the uh, willingness of the Bank of England to switch uh, strategies halfway through the weekend, um, I think that's really interesting. Fourthly, um, the fact that uh, we ended up with a UK ring fence bank, HSBC, purchasing a, a UK bank which itself it's not a ring fence entity. That was also quite an interesting sort of highlight, and I'm sure we'll see more in relation to the ring fencing elements over time. And lastly, and just to take a step back, it's probably worth um, uh, reminding us all that um, this shows the critical importance of resolution planning. Obviously, there's no amount of planning and uh, prep work that one can do because there'll be always be unexpected developments, but the importance of resolution planning uh, is critical. Um, it may also give the Bank of England some pause for thought in terms of simplifying um, the prudential regime, particularly for smaller banks, mm. um, particularly around liquidity requirements. So that is something that we should keep an eye on. And I think lastly, it's probably worth reminding depositors that 85,000 being the deposit guarantee limit is a real hard limit mm. and that depositors should think hard about the credit exposure that they would otherwise take in relation to their banks. Brilliant. Yeah, plenty of food for thought there. Thanks very much, Ed. Thanks very much, Ellie. And if you have any questions uh, on this topic uh, or, or anything else for that matter, please do feel free to reach out to us or, or one of your alternative commitments. Contacts.